We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the third $6 million man pilot, the solid gold kidnapping. Steve Austin rescues a kidnapped American ambassador, which brings him to the attention of a mysterious, shadowy, secret organization of criminal master... Who are they kidding? It's Spectre. Let's call a spade a spade. It's Spectre. Without the white pussy cat cat but but of course it's not really specter because that would be copyright infringement besides there's no luciana palazzi in sight julian peck one of their top operatives wants to investigate the man that single-handedly broke the ambassador out but that's put on hold when roger uh, a younger ambitious operative gets approval to stage a kidnapping of william cameron america's top negotiator with a planned ransom of one billion dollars. The kidnapping goes off without a hitch, right under Oscar Goldman's nose, who was in charge of secretly getting Cameron to China for high-level negotiations with the commies. Peck has other plans. You don't get to be a top operative in a mysterious, shadowy, secret organization of criminal masterminds. Oh, who are they kidding? It's Spectre by being a nice guy. After the kidnapping is pulled off by Roger, Peck kills him and takes over the operation himself. Oscar calls in his ace in the hole, Steve Austin. Steve is introduced to scientist Erica Bergner. Erica has developed an experimental technique for transplanting the cells and therefore memories from one brain to another. The only clue Oscar has is the dead body of Roger, an untraceable man with no identity on file anywhere. Erica transplants the dead man's memories into a test subject, herself. And with the flashes of info that she gets from Roger's memories, she and Steve head to Switzerland. Meanwhile, the U.S. agrees to pay the one billion in gold, and the money makes its way slowly by plane, ship, and train to Europe. Oscar is convinced that the criminals won't wait to receive the gold and will somehow try to swap it out before it reaches its destination. He puts a man on the case to watch the gold. In Switzerland, Peck doesn't immediately realize that Steve is chasing him, but he sees it as an opportunity to capture Steve. His first attempt fails. The head of the mysterious, shadowy, secret organization of criminal masterminds, who, who are they kidding, it's Spectre, realizes that Steve is on their trail and orders Peck to have him killed. Following clues from Roger's memory, Steve is onto the Contessa. No, I didn't mean it like that. Actually, I, I did mean it like that. The Contessa works for the mysterious, shadowy, secret organization of criminal masterminds and is played by Luciana Paluzzi. They're not even trying to hide this. It really is Spectre. Anyway, after Steve gets off the Contessa, Peck's people try to kill him, but they fail. Steve turns the Contessa's loyalties and captures Peck, who clams up and plays no further part in the story. Meanwhile, Rudy Wells is worried about Erica. Back in the lab, the test rat is showing serious problems, problems which may manifest in Erica. But Oscar won't call her back. The case is just too important. Fortunately, Erica never actually develops the rat symptoms, nor apparently needs any further treatment to remain healthy, and this subplot can also be forgotten. When the gold arrives at its destination, it has indeed been stolen already, despite Oscar's man that was there the entire time. 
Putting the pieces together of both the potential swap points in Roger's memories, Steve infiltrates the freighter that carried the gold across the English Channel. That freighter just happens to be the super-secret mobile headquarters of a mysterious, shadowy secret organization of criminal, criminal masterminds that obviously at this point doesn't need to be explained is actually Spectre without the encumbrances of copyright claims. It's also where they were holding the kidnapped diplomat. Steve rescues him, captures Blof uh, the chairman of the board, and saves the day. End of story. The six million dollar man, the solid gold kidnapping. What did you think of this story, Ben? Uh, wow, that, that was not a bad James Bond movie. <laughs> you mean Thunderball? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <clears throat> yeah, this is... It was um, screaming Bond. It really was. I mean, this um, one, you know, the, the last two have just been so James Bond. It's, it's just... It, I, and, and I'm not complaining per se about mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's you know I was entertained. I'll say that I I, I was I was entertained by it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's I mean it's it, it's not your daddy six million dollar man. I mean for all of us who remember the TV series, emphasis on the word series, which was a sci-fi. Mm. I wouldn't call brain transplant. Memory transplants of sci-fi, um, I mean, kind of, a trope. A, a little bit. I mean, yeah, as much as... More well, so than the last one. Yeah. The last one was just kind of pure spy thriller. This one had that sort of high-tech... I, I think it fits better with the OSI, right? I mean, so they're, they're using technology at their disposal to yeah. be doing scientific advancement or perversions of history. Uh, uh, natural order kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think they're trying to find a balance here. I think this bears more resemblance to the series than the last one did. It does, yeah. Uh, I think that benefits partially from the fact that um, it was not written by Glenn Larson. Um, it was written by Larry Alexander, who was quite the jobbing writer, mm -hmm. uh, over 40 credits to his name. Uh, including shows you'll have heard of, like MacGyver, Chips, right. Barnaby Jones, Charlie's Angels, Hardy Boys, Canon, at least one more episode of Six Million Dollar Man, and even Marcus Welby, MD. Of course, he's also written some episodes of Lidsville, The Man from Atlantis, <laughs> Super Train, and the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. <laughs> so his pedigree is, he actually wrote three it's mixed. episodes of, the, of Man from Atlantis. Which three? Um, uh, Carnival of Fear. Oh, dear Lord. Um, Crystal Water something or other, I can't remember, Still Death, whatever <laughs> it was called. And, um, uh, I can't remember what the last one was. I, only the Carnival one, um, really. Boy, that one I remember. Me, you know, that one I can remember because it's got a carnival in it. And, but the other two were like, the names weren't very good, so... I didn't. I couldn't pull them together immediately, and I thought I'm not going to go look because I'll just we'll just get derailed uh -huh. on that. I, I'm more interested in his work on Lidsville. Uh -huh. <laughs> I can't that do I it. Charles Nelson Riley. Oh yeah, to save my life. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Spectre, Spectre. Please, if you look in IMDb, they call it OSO. OSO. Wait a minute. Now, wasn't the organization that 
Oscar was with in the second. The one. OSO. Yeah. yeah I, okay. Just yeah. I, that's just, yeah. I just want to be sure. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm I'm not sure because they never call it the OSO in in the episode, but the credits credits do, do list- say. OSO man yeah. or agent or something, but that could be one of Oscars. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Is it like, are they confused? Are, are they? The only thing that's going in my mind going for it is that if you look at the logo of Spectre, it could be tortured into OSO in your mind mm. if somebody planted it there first. You'd never look at it and go, well, it's OSO. It's not, but it, if you think it, then you go, well, that there's a sort of roundish lump at that end, and there's a sort of roundish lump at that end, and, and the piece in the middle does sort of kind of go zig, zig, zig. So I said, could be. <clears throat> yeah. But it yeah, feels to me like they're just confused. Yeah. You know, is IMDb confused? Was, was Alexander confused? I don't know who was confused here. But having OSI versus OSO, if indeed that's what happened is a terrible idea. It's just, um, and especially since they were calling it the OSO. It's like, I don't know. I can't think of a new name for this organization. What do we call it? Um, I know. How about OSO? And nobody uh-huh. said, I think we used that. I think you know, so no, we, we forgot. Anyway. Well, there's a lot of rebooting that's going on here. Let's be real. And they just rebooted it again. Uh, this time. Do you think the org- so? I think so. Yeah. I, I think that they just thought, oh, let's, we'll, we'll, call the, we'll call our good guys the OSI. Oh, I, I no, but I think I think this is supposed to be. A well, I mean, it's, it is con- a continuation. continuation yeah, of the last but one, yeah. When, when I say reboot, I'm simply saying that they're just not paying attention to any kind of canon whatsoever. No sense of continuity. I, I um, at least I, I don't see that. Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, I happen to know from from doing a little research that during the series and the Bionic Woman, for the most part, the OSI is the Office of Scientific Intelligence. But in some cases, it's the Office of Scientific Information, and in some cases, it's the Office of Scientific Investigation. Mm. They they couldn't even keep it straight over the run of the Six Million Dollar Man. Gee, they just not, kept not surprised changing. Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess there's no real reason to think that they would uh, to get it right here. Um, let's see, hey, let's talk about the Bond factor in this. <clears throat> I felt like they were... Well, first off, there's some serious Thunderball envy going on here. Uh-huh. <clears throat> From coming up with a Spectre-like, or let's call them Spectre-lite <clears throat> organization, to hiring Luciana Paluzzi, who was, if our listeners don't know, the thun- uh, the Spectre assassin in Thunderball. Right. Um, and let's see, what else did we have that reminded me of Thunder? Oh, the, you know, the hospital raid. I mean, that's what they did in Thunderball. They swapped out a swapped out the pilot of the plane <clears throat> in, in a hospital, uh-huh. which coincidentally Bond happened to be in. Um, yeah, it just, it just feels like he just watched Thunderball and said, Gee, what a great story. Let's let's do let's it. do that one. Yeah. And and you know, he um they also did at least downplay the porthole violations in this one a little bit. And I think the only one that really caught my caught my ear was when the girl asked him, "Do you get up to Aspen often?" and he turns that into I get up as often as I can. I can. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Hurt hurt there for the moment. You're like, oh, we're going to be in for a whole other episode of this. But but we weren't, really. There was very little of it. Um, 
the Mayan adventure, the caper at the beginning. Right. Also a little bit James Bondish. A bit. You know, we have the sequence where he does something and it looks like it's solved, but then somehow it ultimately ties back later on in the in the story. What did you think of his his Bondian actions or bionic actions or his you know, if you had if you had bionic arms and legs and eye, is that how you would conduct yourself in this situation? Well, we have the benefit of having seen the series, so we kind of know where you know some of the things that Steve does later on in the show. I kind of get the feeling that the that the writers here we, we saw this a lot in the first, well, in, uh, in especially in the second pilot. I mean, the, the only time we ever got any sense of. Steve has got these really great, you know, bionic legs is the fact that he could swim like a maniac. And, uh, but we never saw any, you know, any, not that I recall any, uh, any exercise of strength or any, any example of strength on that. Hardly. Barely saw it. At least here, we finally got to see some things. But it's, again, I keep getting the feeling that they just had no sense of how to write this. You know, and that's I'm not I'm not finding saying, their feet. Right. I'm not saying that as a criticism either, because this was sort of like I guess you could say sort of new territory in a way. Although, uh I mean all they had to do I guess was go back and look at me, you know, some of the simpler stuff like of like Superman, you know, with George Reeves, but again, uh that was at times badly written too. So maybe that's a bad example. Mm. But uh being able to show some of the things that a man with bionic legs could do. I don't think they really had that entirely figured out, which is why I was impressed with, at least this time, he got to kick down the wall. He did get to kick down the wall, but I don't think he ran in this. No. no well, we we didn't get much running um, uh, in, the, in the last one either. We got swimming. Right. Right. No, but I mean, I, I don't think he ran a single lick. I don't think there was any... There was no jumping, no running. There was none um, of that. I mean, there the was... The only thing he yeah, did I mean, was kick, yeah. kick a door. I mean, we, we, he... he he ran, but he ran like a normal man. Seemed a little to, bit. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was no bionic running. And there's a, there's even a sequence later on towards the end. It's it's the, the final rescue. And, and I kept watching this thinking, why are you not jumping from one level of the ship to another? There's a perfectly great place for you to land on. And no, no, no. Instead, he climbs up a, you know, a, a, a little stairwell. Yeah, he definitely seems... I don't want to say underpowered, but maybe he himself doesn't understand what he can do. Well, maybe we really had no... Well, okay, yeah, we go back to the original pilot, and yes, we do get a sense of how strong those legs are supposed to be. He can run 60 miles an hour in the pilot. Well, well, he and he does 65, if not better, in the second film. But that's all we got. We get, you know, it's just those little mentions, and then once that's done, we completely forget about it, and the bionic legs are merely uh, just artificial appendages at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're uh, oh, the word went out of my head uh, all of a sudden. It's, it's just gone. Um, just, oh shoot, I can't think of what what those the the words we the word we use the term we use today prosthetics. Yeah, prosthetic. It's it's just a prosthetic. That's yeah. all it is. I mean, that's all they treat it as is just a simple prosthetic. They don't treat it as this scientific marvel that is capable of so many wonderful things. You know, great strength, great speed. 
I mean, we get that a, a little bit of allusion to it, you know, where, where we see, again, the running in the first and second pilot. We see him kick down a wall, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah, we, we got, I cataloged everyone I could think of in this. He, he hung off a helicopter. Yeah, he lifted um, some hinge. Yeah, he broke, yeah, he, the, for the anchor. Right, he, he right. did that. He um, smacked a few people with doors. With a door, yeah. So there was some some use of the arm, more so this time around than, well, no, in the last one he broke a safe. He did break a safe in the last one, yeah. that's right. And I think he did, he pour, tore up a couple of things uh, with the arm. But again, it's it's more of just tearing things apart. It's, it's like an extra strong prosthetic as opposed to this bionic limb. And I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder if they... Maybe that was the original have, intent. Have... Given the concept that, let's face it, what Steve does in the series, you know, they they may have set down limits and said, you know, he can jump two stories or he could do this. <clears throat> they may have done that. But there are a lot of things he does that he couldn't do. Right. Because he doesn't have a bionic shoulder and he doesn't have a bionic back. Right. So, you know, some of these lifting the cars and right. he really couldn't do. No, it would tear the rest so, of his body apart. Yeah. So it's possible that, you know, what we're seeing here is that the, the, the joint that we know would be super strong is the elbow. Uh-huh. So what he can do is stuff with the elbow. Yes. If you think about it, like pull a door apart so he's grab it and then have the elbow do <clears throat> do the action. But even then, you would be kind of pulling against the body. But Well, like, and I'm glad you said that because there have been occasions where... I've seen him, you know, with the bionic arm, he's pulling on one thing, but he's using his regular arm to brace himself. And I've always said if he were really doing that, he would break that regular arm because it wouldn't be able to take the pressure. Yeah. They're, they're, well, <clears throat> okay. There are instances where he's in a fight and he deflects something with his non-bionic arm. Yeah. And not only not only does it not shatter the arm, but it also makes a bionic noise. You're like, uh, hey, Foley guy. Yeah. Wrong arm kind of thing. But so it's not consistent. But it's just, I, I just kind of wonder where they got the whole, you know, when they sat down for this story and they said, here's what he can do and here's what he can't do. Because, like, there's a scene, ignoring the jumping, when he's being chased by the guy with a gun on the ship, he can run 60 miles an hour. That guy would never come close. Right. He would be around the corner so fast that guy would never get him in, in shot. But Steve seems to be in genuine peril. Like, ooh, he might catch up to me and shoot me. And so I've got to hide and then ambush the guy. And it it just kind of feels like they're they're trying to make him more vulnerable. And in so doing, then they have to uh, contain what he can do with the with the bionics. Um, I, I think really the one that gets me when I said there's no jumping, that's a lie. There are two instances of jumping in this story. They don't appear to be bionic jumps. In, in fact, when Peck's character tries to run Steve over with the car. Oh, that's a good one. And, you know, with my $6 million man expectations, what I expected was Peck drives at Steve. Steve leaps over the car. Uh-huh. Car smashes into thing. Peck is captured. I wrote pretty much the exact same thing in my notes. But what happens is that instead of a bionic leap, Steve makes a right fist forward dive through the guy's windshield. It struck me as, I mean, even though... Which would have shredded his body. It, it would have. It would have completely just torn him apart. But I kept thinking, that feels more of a James Bond kind of move. And another thing that feels more like a James Bond kind of move, I would swear Peck was dead. Yeah. 
And I think he was. I do too. And and the reason is because we never see him again. No. We, and, we well, there's get... something in the expression too. I mean, you know, Steve yeah. goes over there, he checks the body, and there's just something about it that suggests that he's, he's dead. dead. I mean, every, everything, all the signs are there. It's all the signs are there, he's dead. And I, I wrote it in my note. He killed Peck? Wow, yeah. that's something that he, Six Million Dollar Man wouldn't have done in the series. Well, And I, then the next scene, we go, well, we've got him on ice back in a thing, and he's not he's clammed up with lawyers. Right. And he's not talking. Yeah, that, that surprised me. Yeah, that and, surprised me. And so me. the character of John Vernon is actor John Vernon. I love John Vernon in like everything I've ever seen him play in. He's always such a nasty kind he's, of... He, he makes for a good bad guy. <laughs> he's a great baddie. Um uh, <laughs> and I can't help but remember his his particularly great performance in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. But Oy. that's another that's another story. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think they killed him. I think the script says he's dead, and somebody said, eh, you know, yeah, James Bond would kill him, but Steve Austin wouldn't. Well, the rash the argument could be made that. What Steve did was merely an act in an attempt to stop him, not necessarily kill him. He, and at that point, uh, Peck was simply collateral damage, his death. But, you know, Steve could have stepped out of the way at 60 miles an hour yeah. and, you know, not had a problem. So, I mean, he made a... It was a violent act. It was a violent act. And was his fist aimed at Peck? Or was his fist aimed at the windshield? I felt it was aimed at the windshield myself. I couldn't tell. And I did watch it twice, and I could take it either way. I, you know, it doesn't make any sense that Steve would want him dead right? at that point. But uh, it was definitely different. And then at the end, when he goes after Blofeld, he, he does basically, I think, what's a bionic leap down the, the table, doing basically the same thing, right? He slides his... Oh, yeah. Oh, God, the slide across the table. Slide across the table. I mean, he, he couldn't have done that without a bionic jump. Yeah, so, nice, nice little bionic push off the floor. I, I have to say, yeah, really adding the sound later on when the series came along really, really helps. I mean, the, the sound effect, the bionic sound effects really make it work better. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it certainly lets you know when he's doing something, too. Uh, because it makes some of these... Uh, so some of these effects look just, or stunts, I shall say, look really cheesy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it, it was, mm-hmm. I mean, even though I knew that's what he had done, the, the, the sound effect of the bionics would have made it a bit more tolerable. Uh, honestly, you know, when he jumps down the table, it looks like a guy jumping down and sliding down a table. Right. Right? Well, if I ran as fast as I could and jumped down a table and was able to slide down a table that hard, by the time I reached Dr. Zayas, <laughs> I would not be able to knock him unconscious in the way that he did. Correct. Right? But I'd be surprised if I actually managed to knock him over. <laughs> When he got there. So, you know, it had to be a bionic leap. Right. And I think that in that moment, you know, that kind of uh, clue to the audience would have made this seem less cheesy than it did. Because it, it just looks, you know, it lo- when a guy slides down a table, it's, you know, it's a, it's a Wild Wild West thing. It's slinging the guy down the bar. You know, it's, it's not a thing you do intentionally. It's a thing that gets done to you. You're out of control. You don't have power. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a moment of weakness, not a moment of strength uh, on a, on a show. So 
Yeah, I, I, I wasn't too crazy about that. Um, and I also kind of find that it's a little disheartening that he solved the problem with, with violence. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, he did last time, too. He blew up, he nuked a Caribbean island. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great fun. Which, you know, if we're going to talk about death count, probably a couple there. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure there's, yeah, especially after the whole big spiel about how he... He, he's not out there to kill anybody. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's up to you. It depends on how smart you are. You, can, you don't have to kill. It's like, yeah, all right, why not? I'll kill. But I, I definitely do think that he probably was supposed to have killed Vernon, and then they just wrote in a couple extra lines to make it seem like he was, uh, you know, just, yeah. he's out of the picture, but we're gone. Um, let's talk about the brain experiment. Ouch. Now let's for a second pretend that this is remotely viable. <laughs> Because if we don't, uh, obviously, uh, the story fails at every level. Don't you think Oscar could have found somebody to volunteer for this? I'm sure he could have. Do you not think that the scientist is the last person who should inject themselves? I mean, I know the whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, I'll give myself the injection kind of thing is a trope. But, you know, that's one crazy lunatic acting on his own. Yeah, and here we have Dr. Wells, who should know better, and Oscar, who's got a whole organization of loyal people instead, who yeah. you know, probably would be willing to risk their lives. Instead, they're letting Mary Shelley test, her, test herself. Yeah, and, and of course, if something goes wrong, who would be the person who would be able to fix it? She would, but she could be... She's cuckoo! She's, yeah, she's gone. She could have problems, and so no one would be able to fix it. So, I mean, it, it, it seems like a really bad choice. Obviously, it gives Steve a chance to go out there with a uh, pretty woman, which he completely seems to fail to um, make his bond lady right mm. did did we is there any indication that they were doing anything other than just sharing the room to keep up appearances you know I, or or was this is this us missing 1970s post 19 early 70s post 1960s uh free love society that's kind of what i was thinking she goes well you know i just figured it was we were eight floors apart in this six-story building and uh I just thought we just might as well just sleep together kind of thing. I, I couldn't tell. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't tell. tell. But it, it seemed to me like they had basically no chemistry well, they between were, them. No, I'm, well, not not like that. They were on assignment, um, oh, obviously. Yeah. Like, that's going to stop. And I, I kind of get the feeling that maybe there wasn't supposed to be. I mean, the way they were writing her, she was so traumatized by the experience. And when she sees Peck and then has a complete flip out, uh, was that supposed to be her manifestation of the rat's problem? Because I didn't think it was. No, no. See, I didn't, so I didn't she actually that. never exhibited any of the symptoms. Not, well, we, she kind of suggests it a little bit later, but not fully manifests it the way Rudy was observing it in the rats. And there was even, I think even Oscar has that, has a line saying, you know, well, these are rats, right? Right. No, yeah, no. I, it's it's a fair it's a fair statement. It's like we don't know if this is going to happen to her as well. Not, you know, I'm not putting it that way. It's just it it felt like a smoking really gun, which didn't do anything. Another one, yes, yes. It was a, a thing that happened that that really had no and no bearing right on the situation. It, it was it was there to give a, uh, Rudy a few lines of dialogue. 
maybe to give Oscar uh, the appearance of being a cold-hearted uh, jerk again. Yeah. Um, I care as much as you do, Rudy. I just am not going to warn her. <laughs> I care. I'm just not going to do anything about it. In fact, I'm going to stop you from warning her. Um, yeah, all that was all that was kind of. Ugh, ugh. Um, let's talk about Mr. Austin's opinions on scientific progress. Oh, okay. Oscar is explaining it to her. Steve here is a high-minded man who sometimes thinks scientists pervert the natural order. Remember that line? And uh, when he's talking about the experiment, and also later Steve goes on his little high horse rant about you can replace the heart, the kidneys, and the livers, and the legs, and the arms, and the eyes, and the this, that, yeah, this thing, but the only thing I got left is my mind. And now you're just ripping it out. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely opposed to this and his point is, is that I am more than the sum of my, my parts. parts. Yeah. But is he? Now, and, and for the sake of the, the podcast, we now know that memories are a discrete thing that apparently can be pulled. Even if the process is imperfect, right? It did happen. It did work in this universe. Memories are a thing that can be transferred from one person to another. Okay. Yep. Therefore, is he a sum more than the sum of the power? Or can everything about a person be deconstructed in this universe and rebuilt? Because I, I think it clearly points out that Steve is wrong here. Mm. We are just the construction of, of what we are. At least from what we're given in this episode. And and if we were to say that's wrong, and I don't mean wrong as in it's incorrect, I mean wrong as in not, it's a wrong thing to pursue. In, in other words, it's an, an immoral thing to pursue. Right. If it's true, is it immoral? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, wow. I, I just think that's wrong. So therefore, you know, you shouldn't do it. It's like, you, you may think it's wrong, but if it isn't, if it is in fact a fact, w what are you going to do, Steve? Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it was the only kind of interesting thing about this is that we've still got Steve, who is this sort of conflicted half-man, half-machine. You know, right. his perspective should be different from any other person on the planet. And I wonder if this is how he has made peace with himself right i'm not mm. i'm not half a man with x with these replacement parts i am up what's up here in my head right that, i am that's my I am more than the sum of my parts and so he's he's come to his piece and then she brings along a piece of science that, that kind of trumps that yeah i i i wonder if well, that was where they were going to go with this character if they had not kind of mellowed him out Possibly. I mean, I the only thing that I could see, and this is kind of hard to explain, but yeah, she comes along with this, this idea of uh, the transplanting of the memories and, you know, and which basically it's, it's identity mm -hmm. uh, when you get right down to it. But what we see, at least in her case is that it's not entirely a success. I mean, Steve could at least 
yeah, maybe what she says completely rattles him uh, and in, and in turn would completely shake his foundations in terms of a sense of identity. So I could see that happening. But I could see him also walking away th- saying, no, I was right after all because look at how this thing didn't turn out right. Well, okay, so I can, I can, I can take another angle on that. I mean, yeah, it, it, it eventually went away as far as I can tell. Is it, it just burned out and hopefully it didn't leave the no pictures in her brain forever, the blank screen. It just it, it fades away in time. But she talks about the idea of, like, retrieving... Einstein and and doing things that way. If you were a, I was gonna say if you were a person, that's that's, that's not what I mean. Right. Uh, if you weren't an aut- autonomous machine at the other end, that's actually an AI computer. Our listeners probably didn't know that. No, uh, you have to be more than the sum of your parts in your brain. If I was given the memories of another person, or if you were given the memories of another person, that would not make you that person if you had your memories. Correct. Because you have two sets of memories. Two sets of now. memories, yeah. So now, so uh, that Could, that creates... Uh, uh, something that is more than the two. More than the two. It, it, it's, um, you know, now you've got split personality. My experience combined with your experience allows, I'm guessing, the brain that is in control. So in this case, Erica's, right? It's Erica's brain. It's Erica's thought processes. It's, but she's got Roger's experiences. So now she can draw upon those to make her decisions in her life. Therefore, just as any person is the sum of their memories, a Time Lord doubly so, um, she's got more to work with. She is no longer herself too so you know does she now kind of fancy luciana paluzzi Uh, you know i don't know because she's got roger in there she does have roger the problem is the integration of the experiences as we clearly saw uh she she's not able to separate those things out but it doesn't seem to be his personality that she's getting though no not the personality evidence no evidence of that. It's no, just, just recall. Just just the recall, but uh, on a very visceral level. I mean, when she sees Peck, she claims, because uh, Austin trots her out saying, we have a witness. And mm-hmm. it, it goes beyond that. It's like, that you... That was weird. Yeah. You shot me. You killed me. <laughs> it's like, wow. So clearly... Uh, the impact on the human psyche is much more extreme than she may have bargained for. That was probably a relatively traumatic moment in Roger's life. Oh, I don't doubt it. You know, I, I, that may be what it is. It's just simply that it was just so traumatic that that, that bursts forward. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Um, there is a later... <clears throat> There's a later episode of The Six Million Dollar Man that was meant to be a pilot spinoff where they, Rudy develops a device that can implant knowledge from computer tapes into a person's head to make them the perfect spy. Oh, we need you to learn Chinese? Bam! You speak Chinese! And I don't know where they would have gone with that, but... Uh, well, I, of- I know where it went. It became the TV series Dollhouse. Well, maybe somebody picked that up and did it, but yeah. I mean, the, the, J. J. the episode they did, the episode they did in in the Six Million Dollar Man was, you know, went nowhere because it was awful. <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible episode and uh, uh, quite quite boring in its time. But you know, 
there we have the same kind of concept is that you've got a person and you've given them something extra to work with, whether that would be memories or whether the Chinese language or whatever it happens to be. It's all kind of part of the same thing. If you start mucking about inside somebody's brain and giving them more stuff to work with, you must therefore be changing them in some way. You have to be. You, right. you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, if she knew nothing about roulette and Roger knew everything about roulette, right? Even if it was just subconscious, she would now know about roulette and she would walk in and she would have a familiarity with roulette that she would never have had. Correct. And it would, it might alter her behavior. She could walk in and decide, well, I'll place a couple bets here on roulette because, you know, and, and Erica would never have done that. It's not really a personality change, it's just an informa- uh, informational yeah. um, increase, if you want to call it that, uh, and, and maybe even on some level a sense of experience. So, yeah, well, I'm I'm glad they didn't go down the, some of the avenues that they could have gone down in this one. Um, but I think I think it was weird that they just kind of and then they basically wrote her out too. Yeah, she was there in the final scene, but you know they found the boat. They found the boat without her help. True. Frankly. True. You know, Oscar put two and two together before before Steve did or before Erica did. You know, he's like, well, you know, the guy said he was guarding it the whole time. And except for that one time when it was in the ship's hold, duh, it must have been the ship. And then they tracked it down to the, the Hawaiian legislator. Oh, <laughs> yeah. A weird name of ship. That's a great ship name. Commissioned in 1946 and no longer in service. It's uh, quite a bit of it on Wikipedia, if you're interested. <laughs> In, in seeing about it, I looked it up. Real ship, real name. Huh. Um, used in some TV shows, but it was actually a working working freighter. I just ended up getting getting some parts. I, I couldn't find anything about what the heck the name was supposed to be reflecting. Hmm. You know, the Hawaiian legislator. I don't know. You know, I kind of wondered about that, too. I thought, is, is there supposed to be some kind of gag here going on here? I couldn't figure it out. If there I is, it's it's eluding me. It's like the third name of the ship, too. Third or fourth name of the ship over the years. They just kept changing the... There's actually ship spotting websites. If you can believe this, you put in the name of a ship and it'll find the ship, pictures of the ship that people have taken and put in the records, all of the information about its tonnage and, and its when it was commissioned, what country it flies its flag under and, and all this stuff. It, it was hilarious. I thought there was a joke. I, when, I, when I went to look for Hawaiian legislator, I was hoping to find something that would tell me what that name meant. But instead, I found this whole weird maritime world of train spotters that are, I guess, ship spotters. <laughs> and, uh, and it was totally legit. And it was in the TV series SWAT. Huh. Once, uh, okay, apparently, but uh, I couldn't. I couldn't find like an IMD. You know, if you go to the QE, the Queen Mary, yeah, the Queen Mary, IMDb right. like has a page on it. Every show that was shot on the Queen Mary, but I couldn't find anything like that for the Hawaiian legislator. It just apparently was something they used from time to time. Um, I guess when it was in port because it was a working ship. Okay, um, gags. The hotel honeymoon gag. Every time Steve comes back to the counter, the uh, desk clerk uh, looks at him disapprovingly while he <laughs> is in his awful, either ripped up or wet wardrobe. Uh-huh. I, I didn't really work for me. It, it I didn't seemed like a half-hearted I, attempt at... I didn't get it, to be honest. It, it, just, it, it just made no sense to me. It was just meant to be sort of a running gag, but it just didn't didn't play out right. no there uh, were a number of things that were i think felt to be gags that they didn't they didn't play right like when he messes up the when steve messes up the sardine stand or whatever it was and he asks oscar to send him a check right mm-hmm. this feels like the kind of thing 
that should be an ongoing gag with a guy like that. Oh, uh, by the way, Oscar, I had to kick down a door to this taxi cab. So could you send the guy a check? Oh, and I had to do this and I and I blew up a boat. And could you pay him? You know, it, it feels like that's one of these running gags where Oscar writing checks and sending him out for the, all the damage that Steve causes. But, you know, with only the one instance of it, and far as I know, it never returns in the series. Um, it, it just feels like it might have been set up for the future, but or wasting time. I, I think maybe maybe that was it. Maybe it was started to be uh, some kind of a running gag. It didn't go anywhere, and then it just became filler. All right. Um, one thing I did notice, I'm really down the list here. Um, the music was not done by Stu Phillips this time. And as I was listening to it at the time, not knowing who did the music, I kept thinking, well, this has, this has that very sort of... There are a couple of riffs of Bond in a, in a couple of places, but I this, thought I heard it. Yeah, th- this has this has riffs of the very ordinary music that appears sometimes in Kolchak the Night Stalker, which is you know roughly the same period of time, and not not the listeners would know the Kolchak music. There's a lot of really weird electronic and squawky stuff at places. Um, but then there's also some just sort of, I don't know, it's got a feel to it. And I go, oh, that sounds like Kolchak music. It was the same composer. Again. Ah. Not the Kolchak theme, just the sort of, I don't know, Kolchak driving through town kind of music. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Gil Millay did that one. And, um, which, uh, I think it worked better than Stu Phillips music from the last, from the last episode. But uh, we still thing- have the opening theme. We do still have the opening theme, and I want to talk about that opening credits here in just a second. I'm just going to mention that Oscar pointed out how pissed off the Chinese were because they don't like trotting out the old man to the airport, mm. meaning Mao. Right. Mao Zedong was still alive he in was 1973. Still, he was, yep. Yes, he was. And to put this in context, Nixon went to China in February of 72. So these negotiations would have been very uh, timely in the news. You know, the, the, the just just began to break the egg of China and the United States relationship because we basically had absolutely none up until Nixon's, you know, they worked right. years to get that in. So this would have been very front page kind of news. Oh, absolutely. At the time. And, and you know, believable as a major world uh, peace opportunity at this time. Um, the, the other thing about the opening credits, and we didn't mention it last time, I mean, apart from that we don't like them, I don't like the other retcon that goes on in the opening credits, which is we see Steve up there in the ship, and he's carrying on dialogue with Oscar. Steve, what's going on up there? I was hoping you oh, could tell that. me. Oh, that. Yes. Thump, thump, thump. None of that. Yeah, we know none of that happens in the pilot. But, you know, that's right up there with Rudy and... and um, and Oscar talking uh, in in uh, in Steve's uh, ho- hospital room before he even has the operation. I mean, it's right. it's all part of the reboot. But that one that one is particularly egregious. That's even worse because now we've got you know it was bad enough that they had to write Rudy as the flight surgeon and the bionic surgeon, but then to add Oscar Goldman as a flight controller i'm not even sure what he's doing talking to steve during a top secret flight you know or test flight like that i mean they would like to keep those lines you know there's 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 oscar asking questions in there steve i was hoping you could tell me that which implies that oscar's like working the equipment you know not like oscar is funding this or you know the big wig in the room and it even because they're on a first name basis it even makes them sound like they're kind of friends and it just 
it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted to point that one out. I, I don't know that I have anything else. Um, I really don't have much of anything else either. I, I really was disappointed that the chairman of the board didn't have a cat. That would have been awesome. I would. I really. A, I would. Or I a hairless like chihuahua, or or some something. Ki- some kind of pet, a lizard, something. Yeah. <laughs> An iguana. Yeah, anything. Yeah, anything would have been good. Yeah, it would have um, been great fun. A monkey. God, the gags out of that would have been great. He has, he has a pet orangutan. Yes, the pet orangutan would have been great. Really that would have been great. You know, how many people would have gotten that gag? Uh, just Clint Eastwood. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, uh, we have basically come to the end of our The Birth of the Six Million Dollar Man um, series. I, we're not. We're definitely not doing the series of the Six Million Dollar Man. Don't, don't even think that we're even considering doing the series of the Six Million Dollar Man. Um, it's just it's too it's too massive. Besides, I don't think there's enough to carry it. Um, so overall, I mean, as a whole, the three movies. If that was all there had been, they'd never gone on to the series. Would we still be talking about it today? No, I don't think so. Because it's largely unremarkable. I mean, it might have developed some sort of a cult status purely because, uh, especially how the, the second and third movies were so Bond-esque. But aside from that, no, they're very unremarkable. It didn't do anything to carve out its own niche. Even after Steve... I mean, and ha- now, had they progressed more along the lines of where the first movie uh, was telling its story... It might have, which I think is what the series did. The series feels more in line with the the first movie. At least that's my take. Uh, had it been had it been just that, well, maybe, maybe it, there might be some, there might still be some conversation. But just based on movies two and three, no, I don't think so. It's just too unremarkable. Well, I'm glad though that they did make the series because it is one of my favorites, and it. Oh, I do having, like the series a great deal. Having been watching through them, um, you know, I think, I, I think the biggest difference is that this Steve Austin that we are seeing here hasn't got a personality, right? It seems forced. It's it, forced and terribly shallow. And when they get to the series, um, you know, whether or not it's Lee Major shining through, I don't know. <clears throat> but they have kind of turned him into a guy you'd really like. You know, he, he just seems like a great guy and easygoing, thoughtful, you know, not, not like a super brilliant genius or anything like that. He's just, he just seems like a great guy and, and the kind of guy you want to be an all-American hero. Right. And a little bit down home. Um, and, and plus that and the fact that there's just such a great chemistry between him and, and uh, Richard Anderson as Oscar Goldman. The two, you know, make that show. Right. Between the two of them. And it's, it's not really in evidence here. Um, not yet. Because they're trying, to, they're trying to make him into Bond instead of making him into a, a, not, not quite an ordinary guy. I don't want to say that. But, you know, a, a, a very down-home, down-to-earth guy uh-huh. that he is in, in the series. Oh, well, um, some other podcasts can take that one up. Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, a pleasure. And listeners, I'm not sure what we're going to do next, but uh, I do hope you'll join us all for it next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com, 
Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.